0: Honestly, all of history is foreshadowing of anti-Semitism. Like, when have we not been exiling the Jewish people?
1: (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm giddy. I feel like I just put on, like, my coziest
0: sweater, you know? A hundred percent. All right, let me have a quick sip of tea. Okay. What we're talking about is plastic surgery. Oh
1: my goodness. I'm honestly so excited because I also had this in my notes of like a potential podcast idea. Oh my God. So I feel like we're on the same wavelength and I can't wait for you to walk me through everything.
0: Okay. I want to start out of the gates with clarifying that we are not talking about gender confirmation surgery. We are not talking about reconstructive surgery or like very functional plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom had breast cancer. I understand the importance of like reconstructive surgery. I have a cousin who has had complications in utero that resulted in difficulty developing the right half of his head and brain and that included Mm -hmm. his ear. And he's had a lot of surgeries to create an external ear. Like I understand that importance. Mm -hmm. but I want to talk about exclusively cosmetic and aesthetic plastic surgeries and like permanent, semi-permanent procedures. Okay. So the reason I want to talk about it is because I had an inkling that was confirmed by the statistics that it's been growing in popularity. So when you look at like the 2001 statistics compared to the 2021 statistics, the percentage of the population that is getting plastic surgery now has increased and maybe me being like more on social media than I was in 2001 when it didn't exist I I feel like I may be like more exposed to it especially as like a woman in her mid to late 20s but I feel like with each passing day more and more I hear about not just people on the internet but people in my friend group and like immediate circle considering doing aspiring to having already done these procedures. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like what your experience, if any, is with plastic surgery, if anyone, you know, and again, cosmetic only, but like if anyone, you know, has had it.
1: Well, first I want to ask, like, what are we defining plastic surgery as? I know we're not talking about reconstructive surgeries and burn victims and stuff like that. But in terms of getting work done, which I feel like is the phrase that we hear a lot, like, yeah, is getting Injectable Botox considered plastic surgery is great question. Like lip filler considered plastic surgery, or is it only? Are we just talking about actual surgery? Like you're great going question. Into surgery.
0: We are going to talk about primarily surgery, but like neurotoxins, injectables, injectable silicone, even though that's illegal, like all of that stuff will make an appearance. But yeah, we're focusing on like anesthetized, going under the knife, etc.
1: I have not had any plastic surgery, nor I'm trying to think of if I know anyone in my personal life that has had plastic surgery in this context. I I know people who have gotten after having many children, not breast augmentation, but their breasts were sagging and it was painful and and they got them filled in to some degree. But I don't think I know, I, I don't think I know a lot of people in my age range like any of my close friends or anything cool so you're coming in
0: fresh yeah i think so well that means we can start from the very very beginning so treatments for the quote-unquote plastic repair of a broken nose are apparently first mentioned in around 1600 bce in an egyptian medical text now it wasn't as like surgical as we would consider today i think it's really hard to do things without anesthesia. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So it was a lot of sort of splints and prosthetics more than it actually was plastic surgery. But even rhinoplasties were being performed by Indian methods and like published magazines by the late 18th century. Rhinoplasty being a nose job basically. But again, it's hard to do anything for no functional reason without anesthesia. So I think those rhinoplasties were more reconstructive in nature or after an accident or some sort of defect that needed to be corrected for the breathing of the patient. Mm -hmm. Then we see anesthesia in 1846 for the first time and that sort of accelerates like the ability to quote-unquote innovate plastic surgery and the first attempt that we see at a cosmetic surgery is I think in 1891. An American- Otto Rhinolaryngologist presented an example of his work where he reduced what's called a dorsal nasal hump for cosmetic indications. That's, I think, just a bump along your nose. The bridge of your nose? Exactly, yeah. And then in the 1890s, Austrian doctors performed their first breast augmentations using... Well, I'm going to let you guess. What do you think they injected into women's breasts in their first breast augmentation? In 1890? I don't know,
1: butter? Like, what?
0: (laughs) Okay, honest to God, you are not that far. They literally injected melted wax. Okay, I was so close. (laughs) No, you were so close, and it was, okay, it was, the original ones were, yes, like, reconstructive in nature, I think, after the removal of some sort of, like, malignant foreign body or something,
1: but. They knew that already in the, like, in the 1890s. I didn't know that that was something that you could detect. Yeah, you know what, that's
0: a good question. I, like, wish I looked up, what were they removing from this woman's I don't know a nipple (laughs) they were like what the fuck is that (laughs) oh I literally wonder what if it was like a third nipple and they were like fuck that I'm not sure because there were no mammograms back then were there I don't know no old timey booby panini presses
1: (laughs) I was like am I being naive or I I didn't know that medicine were was that advanced to detect a foreign situation happening in your breast
0: yeah Maybe it was like really notable, Mm, you know? Maybe. But so the original breast augmentation supposedly was, yes, reconstructive in nature. But immediately, this technology is then, of course, used for aesthetic purposes. Mm -hmm. And Japanese sex workers through the 1940s were pumped with industrial silicone to basically increase their earning power, not just with local Japanese men, but also American GIs. Sounds lovely. Yeah, the problem with silicone is that it doesn't have immediate side effects. It's more like years later, it starts yeah. to migrate, and it's just oh. a huge disaster, and it's something that you're not going to realize immediately.
1: By migrate, do you mean that it like gets into your bloodstream, or it moves in your body as like a mass?
0: Let me see. The serious worry with silicone in liquid form was that it broke apart, forming granulomas that could then migrate basically anywhere in the body they chose. So if a granuloma is solid, which it sounds like it might be, then it can migrate apparently almost anywhere in your body. But like through your blood or is it just floating around? This article on Bustle.com says, so feel a lot of sympathy for the women who had a bulk of it swimming around their bodies. So I guess, yeah, swimming around. Swimming around. But it does say there are like catastrophic side effects of this.
1: Yeah, yeah, of like a piece of plastic just floating and intoxicating you.
0: It's a toxin, right? Oh yeah. Can your body break it down? Mm-mm. You have to. You have to remove it. It has to be removed. And the problem, and we'll get into this later as well, but like having silicone injected, it's not just that it's floating around, but the side effects can include like hair loss, lower energy, and brain fog, pain, inability to focus. It's it's like really not supposed to be in your body. I
1: mean, I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> it's like. Relatively intuitive. (laughs) So I guess going back a few years, though, before there are these Japanese sex workers being injected with industrial silicone, there were also a ton of injuries in the first and second world wars that did also like really ramp up the need for innovation in plastic surgery for very literally reconstructive reasons. Mm -hmm. And then when those wars were over, there were a lot of super trained physicians who kind of had nothing to do with this new expertise. And by the 1990s, we see an explosion of plastic surgery where the number of procedures in the U.S. grew tenfold. And so it comes to pass that basically about 100 years after plastic surgery and procedures in the West were introduced in earnest, the number of cosmetic surgeries as compared to reconstructive surgery double. Mm. Like the number of cosmetic ones double the number of reconstructive ones. Okay. So... What we're going to do is we're going to talk through a few examples of people who have gotten, quote unquote, above board surgeries. Above board surgeries. OK. <laughs> and then we'll talk about some less legal situations. Ooh. All righty. Yeah. We're going to start with an influencer named Hailey Bui, And she goes to Korea where she does not live. She travels to Korea to a clinic called View Plastic Surgery. And I thought... I would send you their website and let you explore the number of procedures they have available. (sighs) Okay. I'm getting uncomfortable. (laughs) Ellie, when I tell you the number of human insides I have had to look at to research this episode. I'm so glad you did
1: this episode and not
0: me. (laughs) Uncomfortable does not begin to describe. Andrew walked by while I was watching one of the videos
1: and was like, like, what the hell are you doing? Okay. Viewplasticsurgery.com. Okay, so we have breast as a category. (laughs) We have augmentation, reduction, lifting, correction, implant removal, revision surgery, and examination. Facial contouring. Mm -hmm. Double jaw. What's a double jaw? Under eye fat reposition. Middle-aged eye surgery. Yes. (laughs) Rhinoplasty. And in the drop down, it says types of nose <laughs> and i love that there's a section that's just male surgery because mm-hmm. men don't have noses or jaws you know it's no, like a whole not. whole separate section or eyes <laughs> no no, 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 no of none not. of that dermatology skin booster brightening skin petite what i that one is not so clear to me i don't I don't want to click on any of this.
0: No, I <laughs> am getting emails now. Oh, And I'm very sorry no. if you're going to get them, too. Targeted ads? Worse. An email to my personal email. And they were like, hey, Audra, we know you're interested in plastic surgery. Here's our rate with this doctor, including recovery and merch. I was like, OK, thanks.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm looking at photos of, like, skeletons and how they want to move your bones around.
0: hmm uh. Which okay. one are you looking at, double jaw, facial contour. Double
1: jaw. If you have a combination of severe chin. What's a severe chin? And protruding mouth symptoms. I love that they say symptoms, not like it's just a quality of your bone structure. Like, it's a symptom. There's an issue. You
0: have a disorder. No, it's, yeah, like your natural existence is pathologized. It's something that is a condition now. Mm -hmm. Okie dokie, to be fixed by people who are making money on you fixing it, by the way. Yeah, and it's not covered by insurance, of course, because it's purely cosmetic. Mm -hmm. So Haley goes to Korea to this clinic, and she's going there to get a brow lift, fat grafting, and breast augmentation. Okay, What is fat grafting? Fat grafting is basically taking fat from her stomach and injecting it under her eyes to fill out what she thinks are sort of puffy eye bags.
1: Wait, if your eyes are puffy, why would putting fat
0: in them make them less puffy? <laughs> okay. Am I being dumb? I think. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think. Poor listeners can't see me pointing yeah. <laughs> creepily at my eyeball for Ellie as a demonstration. But I think that like at the very, basically at your lower lash line, if it's puffy, but then like a few centimeters down, if it sort of hollows out, maybe where you have dark circles Mm. and then it lifts back up again, where you have your cheekbone. Uh I think people are trying to sort of even it all out, even out that slope. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So
0: there's sort of just like less of like a hollowed out section in between like a puffy eye bag and then a cheekbone.
1: That's what I'm assuming. And then the brow lift is when they like cut around your hairline and pull everything up, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, so brutal. My goodness. And then the boob job is, as you probably know, just putting implants into her existing boobs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's traveling to get these three procedures done, and she says that View Plastic Surgery has a team of translators for different languages, and people show up from all over the world. So
1: they're they're well known and highly regarded.
0: Not View Korea. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, people also go to Turkey a lot for plastic surgery. Oh, I had no idea. For nose drops in particular. People go to Miami for Brazilian butt lifts or BBLs, which we'll get into. And then Korea is a big destination for what's called blepharoplasty. And that's surgery on your eyes. That term can be used to refer to people in their older age just sort of wanting an eye lift almost. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, when we're talking about blepharoplasty in Korea and in Japan, we're talking about double eyelid surgery, which is where surgeons create an additional crease in your eyelid So that you don't have something that is called or referred to as a monolid. Because when you have a monolid, you're not able to see as much of like the irises and the whites of your eyes. Mm -hmm. And so for whatever reason now, for whatever reason, for racist reasons, Mm -hmm. people have decided that you look like angry or tired if you have a monolid. Mm. So it's very, very popular to get the double eyelid surgery in Korea. And there's a lot of medical tourism in general, depending on what you're getting. Okay. So she goes to view plastic surgery in Korea, and it's treated almost like a spa-like experience. It's really eerie. Like, every day during her recovery, she gets this infrared treatment that's supposed to promote healing, but it's in a very spa-like environment, and it's on what looks like a massage table Hmm. with the calming vibes, Mm -hmm. and the lobby is very spa-like. It's almost subliminally I think normalizing it or signaling to you that this is an act of self-care this isn't horrifically risky invasive expensive dangerous surgery it's therapy it's a spa (laughs) it's self-care do it for you Mm -hmm. it's a bubble bath right (laughs) It's massage sort of but she's getting as I said multiple things done And just as a note, she has already had plastic surgery before. She had some kind of procedure on her eyes previously. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I know that the effects weren't super long lasting. And now she's back for a brow lift to, I think, tackle kind of her same insecurity of looking not super awake or not super friendly, Mm. as well as other procedures. And as a note, cosmetic surgery patients who are repeat patients are 44% of people getting cosmetic surgeries. And if it's non-surgery, just like a procedure, the repeat patients are 77%.
1: Wow. And is this repeat because it becomes kind of like addictive to some degree of like, oh, now that I've done this, I want to do a new thing? Or is it because these surgeries aren't actually made to give you long-lasting results and you have to keep coming in to get back to what you originally had?
0: Yeah, it's both. Both. Okay. So there are some surgeries that have more long-lasting effects, some surgeries that require a lot more upkeep and work to maintain. And there are people who, especially if you're already disposed to anxiety, become very borderline debilitated by like body obsessiveness. And they can't stop looking at things that they now need to fix or if this thing actually really worked. And if I just do that one last thing, maybe then I'll really be confident. Yeah.
1: A game you can't win.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's so much harder said than done. Like I have been gaining weight recently and there are a lot of reasons for that but it doesn't matter why gaining weight is not like a moral failing but it is really hard when you continue to see your body change trying to Mm -hmm. learn to love it because that's kind of the narrative with body positivity in reality i think we should be striving toward neutrality because once you love something it inevitably will change again as you age or lose mobility or whatever but the point being the external body part isn't the root cause of your insecurity Mm -hmm. i've looked back at pictures of myself when I was a varsity rower and I looked better by society standards than I ever have. And I know, and I can remember in that moment feeling like absolute garbage about myself. Yeah. And so I caught myself recently, like getting in the shower and seeing some stretch marks and being like, once these stretch marks turn white and I'll forget about them, then maybe, then maybe I'll be happy in this current weight. And I had to catch myself and think, no, I'm okay with it now. I'm totally Mm -hmm. okay with it now because it's not ever your external body. That's the root cause. It's it's something much, 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 much harder to tackle, but it's probably much, much, much deeper. hundred percent. Yeah.
1: And, and by spending all of your effort and time and money on trying to quote unquote fix something on the outside, you're spinning your wheels. At the end of the day, even if you were able to, just like you were saying of your anecdote of seeing photos of yourself when you were in college, and you now looking back feel differently about that girl – But when you were there, there probably wasn't anything that anybody could say to you that would change your mind about how you felt about yourself. So now you could be in a a new body and be like, all right, but this time if I change this and that and if I manage to do it, suddenly I'm going to love myself. It's all going to be great. And the second that even if you manage to change something... You will find something else to scrutinize because it's like you're saying, it's not about how anything is manifesting on the outside. It's it's something internal and it's not your fault that it's internal because there are so many societal pressures that tell you what you can and can't look like and what you should strive for Mm -hmm. and fighting that, especially when they change every two years and you're like, I just I just lost all this weight. So that I wouldn't have an ass. And now an ass is popular. Now I got to gain weight. to got the ass.
0: Like, what the hell? Literally, the trends of it all. Like, how are bodies trends and fads and stylish or out of style? It's, it's yeah. really quite ridiculous. And I'll continue saying this over and over and over again. I really so wholeheartedly I'm not judging anyone who's getting plastic surgery mm-hmm. that is not what this episode is about because the weight of that societal pressure is excruciating especially when you're a woman mm-hmm. and especially when you're a woman of color at least in the u.s it is and even when you're not it's 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 absolutely crushing and in some places more than others it is very the positive reception you get in the wake of a surgery can be very powerfully reinforcing yeah and make you want to get another one and i understand that but I guess what we're talking about today is we're zooming out and wondering how do we get to a place where this is so, so, so common globally Mm -hmm. and it is so racialized and gendered. Do you feel like when
1: a famous person gets some sort of surgery do you think that they have any level of responsibility to disclose said surgery is it none of anybody's business like Mm. where are you on the hook or if you're perpetuating beauty standards that you yourself are also a victim of and probably even more so than non in the public eye people. There's so much more pressure on people in the public eye. But if you are simultaneously like perpetuating a beauty standard, even if you are also feeling the pressures, is there a point? Do you think that something needs to be disclosed or is it like it's your body? It's none of my business. You shouldn't have to tell anybody what you did with about anything.
0: I don't think anyone owes you any explanation unless they're selling you something. Yeah. If they are walking out of the clinic in Miami post BBL and already typing up their 30 day booty blaster yeah. program that they're going to sell you telling you it's it's <laughs> it's squats telling you it's the squats that they're designing into workout their method is the surefire way to get an ass like them and they're making money off of that that's where I feel you about it if they're selling you yeah. like the Kardashians shapewear yeah when they've had surgery if they're selling you lip kits when they've had lip filler or whatever the case may be that feels bad to me and i'm not Mm -hmm. saying you ever have to disclose anything i'm just saying at the point where you're selling something and being dishonest the problem i have is just the straight up dishonesty yeah
1: the false marketing like if
0: if if people say i'm selling this shapewear but no 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 i've never had surgery what i'm upset about is not like oh you need to tell me every little surgery you've ever fucking had i'm just upset that you're lying and profiting off of us plebeians
1: (laughs) yeah No, I totally agree. I think if you're selling something and you're telling me that that product did something for you or people who have like just genetically really beautiful skin, no pores, whatever it is, and then they have like a skincare line and it's like there's only so much that a product can do. (laughs) Yeah. And it's probably mostly your genetics. Right. But what I find a very interesting conversation about this stuff is the gray area of even if you're not technically selling something like you look a certain way that is like right now the hottest thing that you can be if you got cosmetic surgery to look that way and even if you're not telling someone like in exchange for money i'm gonna give you this product or whatever but you're still making yourself visible in a certain way and denying getting work done do you think there's anything unethical about that because for me, like I struggle with that because I, I simultaneously, I'm like, you're allowed to do whatever the fuck you want with your body. It's not in my business. You don't have to tell me shit. And we also live in a world where certain bodies and certain faces and facial features are treated differently. And if you're famous because of your beauty and that beauty is... Constructed from plastic surgery or whatever, and you're kind of coming across as like, well, I, this is just my natural self. Like, I don't know what you want me to do about it. Like, mm-hmm. what kind of harm is that perpetuating to, even if it's not directly tied to a, a financial thing? Yeah,
0: I think that I don't even know yeah. how I feel about that at the individual level, to be honest. But something I do know I don't like is when people say, well, as long as you're honest about it, it's okay. Mostly Mm -hmm. because I don't think that's fucking far enough. Mm -hmm. I think right now, with the democratization of social media and camera phones and also surgeries themselves, we have this like rapid uptick, not just of the number of people getting surgery, but also of the visibility of it all. And while people say, you know what, do you, do whatever you want, do what makes you feel confident and what makes you feel better, just disclose it. As long as you disclose it, it's totally okay. Yeah. The reason I don't like that is because that inherently is actually encouraging people to get more work done by walking a certain tightrope, but it's still suggesting that it's okay to get work done. And I think that collectively we have to be like so working up, like working in the completely opposite direction Mm -hmm. because we are, by doing that collectively, continuing to raise the bar higher and higher yeah like if, if suddenly everyone's had every surgery available then yeah. everyone's going to be a lot more insecure about every single feature especially kids growing up now yeah and so i don't know because i know the question that you're asking is like as an individual where does that accountability fall and i'm almost too far on the other end of the spectrum of like as a collective whoever can and whoever's income is not affected by whatever surgeries they do or don't have needs to be like actively working against this trend in society Mm -hmm. so that's a non-answer but (laughs) no no i yeah i i'm so glad we're talking about this because i
1: i don't have a lot of familiarity with plastic surgery but i also know i know that a certain look is something you can commodify and something that you can bank on to some degree and there's such a thing as fat phobia there's such a thing as pretty privilege Yep. all that stuff like you can get certain benefits from looking a certain way and who am i to tell anyone to not play that game if they want to or or not even want to but if they feel that that is going to advance their life in a in like a meaningful way or that is going to make them feel better about themselves or whatever the case may be i don't think that it needs to be a binary necessarily, but there is something that makes me feel uncomfortable about the idea that you feel like you need to go break your bones and make them look differently
0: <sighs> yeah. or
1: some level of validation or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. But at the same time, I think what's hard is that there's like a line for everyone of like how far they will modify themselves. Oh, and yeah. So it's I mean, like I
0: dye my hair. I get tattoos. I have piercings. I do makeup. I have thought about microblading my eyebrows. Exactly. It's like everyone is modifying themselves to some degree. Yeah.
1: And so if there even is a line to draw, I think mm-hmm. we all are victims of that psychology of how do I adapt myself to the current times or mm-hmm. what kind of workout do I want to do to, even if you don't go get a BBL, someone being like, I want a bigger ass, I'm you actually... Might,
0: you're right. You might buy the 30-day booty blaster program. Yeah. yeah
1: and, and obviously, you can increase muscles working out. Mm-hmm. So, is someone that goes to the gym and really focuses on their glutes and grows their butt Doing something wrong. Like, you know, it, it's just so hard because we do modify our bodies and the way we look all the time. And a
0: lot of it is so celebratory, too. Like, a lot of it, yeah. a lot, especially jewelry and tattoos, yes, are so deeply cultural. And yes. so, be- like, such a beautiful expression of, like, life and love and family. Yes. And that's a wonderful point, is, like, really, where is the line of yeah. body mod that's gone too far or that is damaging to other people's perception of themselves.
1: Yeah, and 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 is it anyone's responsibility? Because I don't know. I'm again, I'm thinking out loud because I'm like, oh, why is plastic surgery the thing that we look at as, oh, that's not a feminist thing to do or that's a negative thing to do to other people?
0: I think that's a great question. And I think I continue to have this itch to zoom out, which is so truly not what you keep asking me. And I know I'm skirting the question in a very frustrating way. But I know you were sort of invoking the public opinion when you said, oh, quote unquote, plastic surgery is not a feminist thing to do. Obviously you're like, yeah, parroting back what a lot of people in this day and age say. And to counter what those people say, I I actually really don't think people who get plastic surgery are being anti-feminist at all. In fact, if you are a stripper and that's how you're making your money and you need to get some sort of surgery and it has a meaningful difference in your lifetime earnings, I completely fucking understand. I will not judge you. And if you're in Korea where you have to put your picture on your resume and it genuinely makes a difference whether you have a monolith or a double eyelid in your like job prospects, literally, like I could not be farther from judging you. But again, when we zoom out and we look at the trend globally, I think of it as ultimately An anti-feminist phenomenon that isn't serving anyone in the longer term. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think that, like, it's really, to me, those with privilege, whatever that looks like, whether it's, like, the money or the time or mind space, I don't know. It's, like, incumbent on those with privilege to start to ask, like, why do I feel the need to do this? And will I be in the long term serving not just myself but others and those who are coming after me by making this decision Or not. Because if not, then maybe I shouldn't. And if it will put people in positions where they're getting below board, illegal, harmful procedures done just to continue to meet the standard that I with my money am setting, Mm -hmm. then that's that's where I, I get nervous, is when like we're introducing risk not just to yourself, but to the broader collective. So you and I always say, like, we're conditioned in a patriarchy. Of course you and I are going to have, unfortunately, misogynistic biases. That's yeah. n- not, not something we're going to be able to help. But we can work every day to like do what we can to subvert that. And that's, I guess, sort of how I feel about plastic surgery. Is like those with the privilege and the time and the financial cushion should, to the extent that they can, try not to give in to this pressure, even though I know it's, for many, absolutely crushing. And mm-hmm. because of how gendered and racialized it is, I think it's just like further wasting the time and money of like already marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. And... Women, for example, as a whole have like a quarter or a third of the wealth in this country. So it's not just about the wage gap, but it's also about the wealth gap because Mm -hmm. we have more expensive lives. We have conditions that are diagnosed on average like four years later than men get their conditions diagnosed. Like we just spend a longer amount of time spinning our wheels. We have more expensive products that we have to buy. We're already trying to keep up by doing our hair or doing our makeup or wearing these outfits. And I want everyone to feel like they can do their hair and they can wear makeup. and They can wear outfits regardless of their gender expression. Yeah. But it is something that currently is gendered along a binary and is for many people more of an obligation than a fun expression of themselves. Yes. And I think... A lot of it is racial, unfortunately. Like, I think there is no objective and only subjective reasons that we have preferences for no- noses that don't look indigenous or don't look African or don't look Jewish. Mm-hmm. There are reasons that we like noses that look European mm-hmm. and Scandinavian and are narrower and upturned in all of these things and has nothing to do with inherent beauty. And it's basically from as early as different races were interacting with each other. And as early as plastic surgery existed, it's always been very political. And for a long time, I mean, if you go to the Met or any art museum and look at Renaissance artwork, you will see that we had a pretty major preference for like heavier set women. Mm -hmm. I mean, we call people Rubenesque for a reason. You know, that artist Rubens Mm -hmm. really liked fleshy, strong women with cellulite and just chubby women. Mm -hmm. But as soon as... The transatlantic slave trade really took off across all of Europe and people were interacting a lot more with people of African descent and were also codifying in their mind that those people that looked like that were of socially inferior status, they started deciding that the way those people looked also was inferior and then kind of could backwards engineer that as, oh, that, oh, no, that's why we dislike you. Mm It's just because, like, you're fat. Yeah. Because I think we were all okay with looking healthy, strong, and well-fed until that became a sign of blackness.
1: Yeah. I know. I remember watching a, like, history video or something about what the ideal body type is and how it's changed over time. And that during, like, World War One or World War Two, there was such a shortage of textiles because so much of, like, our money and energy was going towards... The war, so they would make clothing smaller, and so then women had to lose weight just to buy clothes. Oh, yeah. So now girls are looking in the mirror, being like, "Well, I need to be smaller." And it's like that only is in your head because during a war that you were not around for, they were running out of shit, and so they had to just make clothes smaller Literally. to clothe people.
0: Yeah, it's totally like sociopolitical factors that have really lasting effects on the public mainstream that are affecting like today and that's what's crazy is so so much of it my whole life has gone unquestioned Mm. so for context I'm a twin my twin has a much faster metabolism than me and like Mm -hmm. from the time we were literal toddlers and being fed the exact same thing she always 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 weighed less I was always a size or two bigger in our school uniforms and our sports jerseys and there was never any questioning of why I wanted to be skinny like her I just knew I did Mm -hmm. and I knew I felt worthless by comparison Mm -hmm. and I never asked myself well why is that better like it's 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 yeah
1: it's so ingrained it's so ingrained and that's your twin right you and your sister were born at the same time and have different body types right it's just not in your control like
0: (laughs) right (laughs) and we're fraternal for those listening we don't look a thing alike but it's just we have literally completely different bodies And we grew up doing the same sports, Mm -hmm. eating the same food. And it's crazy that like from as soon as I was aware of myself, I hated how I looked. But back to Haley. (laughs) (laughs) So she's getting her brow lift, her fat grafting and her breast augmentation. Now, again, the fat grafting is for her eyes. She also wants it in her cheekbones to look younger and then also around her smile to look younger. Because she has some smile lines or dimples or something like that. So this is a perfect example of procedures being racialized and gendered. The brow lift she's getting because she is Vietnamese. And she has not a monolith, I think, but narrow eyes and Mm -hmm. wants them to look more awake and more, quote, friendly. Because somewhere along the way, society has convinced her that narrower eyes are not friendly.
1: Yeah, that I was going to say that's, like, so deeply racialized. Yeah. Friendly and also awake. It's like, mm-hmm. what in an eye makes you <laughs> more a- awake? Like, if we're both awake, I just don't... Right,
0: like... like <laughs> what? <laughs> right. I- I'm speaking. Right. I'm up. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm standing in front of you. Like, <laughs> we're good. mm mm-hmm. um, And then, obviously... A boob job she says she wants because she wants to feel more feminine basically from the time she was a kid she always wanted a boob job and with that i want to share with you some statistics from 2021 on the rates of plastic surgeries by gender basically okay so scroll to page eight okay can you tell me the top two surgeries for women and the top two surgeries for men okay top
1: two surgeries for women are liposuction and breast augmentation Mm -hmm. and for men liposuction and male breast
0: reduction so Obviously, liposuction is a common surgery for both of these genders represented. Because we live in a fat phobic society. Correct. <laughs> which is, again, racialized. But I guess before I jump into my spiel, I'm curious if you have any like immediate thoughts seeing breast augmentation for women and breast reduction for men.
1: Yes. I think my first thought was how much of gendered stuff is just how far from femininity can we be? Mm -hmm. and how and if we are going to be feminine how much can we lean into that so i don't think it's like accidental that women are kind of told subliminally and explicitly that the female form is like big breasts and like voluptuous yes wide hips and tiny waist and legs and whatever and hourglass and all that stuff and so women want to have larger breasts to be as womanly as possible and so if a large breast is womanly a man is like I absolutely cannot be anywhere near Mm -hmm. womanly I don't want to Mm -hmm. be like a woman because that's like the biggest insult
0: right (laughs)
1: right couldn't be anything worse
0: than looking feminine (laughs) god forbid I'm a woman god forbid we treat those people like crap yeah I'm not gonna be one of those like them (laughs) Yeah. So for me, something that also jumps out, well, it's what you're saying. We are reinforcing and driving to further ends of the extreme, these two genders that we've put along a binary, Mm -hmm. where women and men externally aren't actually that different. No. Now, we are surgically differentiating ourselves more and more and more with each passing year. And I think a really unfortunate byproduct of that is Besides the fact that women and men, but we should mention the breast augmentation number for 2021 was 362,000 plus, whereas the male breast reduction number was 22,000 plus. So it's a different scale. And the unfortunate part beyond women paying for these expensive risky surgeries that can long-term cause breast implant illness and other side effects is also this acceleration of transphobia because transphobes now have such a warped understanding of what assigned male at birth cis men look like and what assigned female at birth cis women look like Mm -hmm. that they are attacking even cis people on the internet just because they have a mustache or a unibrow Mm -hmm. or a flat chest or a boxy frame or leg hair or bigger boobs if you're a guy. Like, they are being so, so, so violent and it's never OK. It's not like, oh, now it's worse because cis people are involved. Like, it's also getting worse for trans people. Mm-hmm. And it's always been not OK to be transphobic. And now we're seeing an acceleration of it. Yeah. We say, you and I say all the time, like, gender is a construct. No, it's literally surgically constructed. Like, it's a construct, <laughs> you guys. It's a construct.
1: Completely. Um, How do you feel about, I don't know if we're going to talk about it later, but hair removal?
0: So I haven't looked into it. I'm under the impression that what we've deemed as like an appropriate amount of body hair is pretty Eurocentric mm-hmm. and I need to learn a lot more. And that said, I shave, I'm in the chokehold and like maybe one day I'll do soul searching about it. But it's just unfortunate that we're up against something like so unbelievably hard to unlearn because I do think about our trans sisters who have a lot of dysphoria from their facial hair. And I'm like, if only you knew how many of us with PCOS... We're waxing our mustaches and our unibrows and we're shaving and we're sugaring and like going to get their laser hair removal. Like if only you knew, maybe we wouldn't all feel so dysphoric all the time when we did have body hair, which by the way, serves like a very real purpose of protecting you from germs. Yeah. And it's
1: interesting because it's like a dysphoria that if you're a trans person, your dysphoria is so heightened because you're completely in the wrong body. And then the body that you may or may not be trying to transition to is also one that cis people can also find dysphoria in of like, I'm a woman and I feel like a woman and I feel like I'm in the body that I was meant to be in. And I want to change so much about it. Right. Uh, Like like, almost having gender dysphoria, even as a cis person of like, oh, I'm not womanly enough yet because I haven't matched all this other stuff of like things that are completely made up.
0: Yeah. Oh, as a chubby woman who's married to an Asian American trim man, there's also a very interesting gender dynamic there where I feel like insufficient as a woman because there's so much like wearing my boyfriend's sweatshirt. Like, yeah, nice try. That would fit over like one arm. But (laughs) (laughs) like really
1: normalize wearing your wife's
0: sweatshirt yeah for real oh my god the point being (laughs) you're right like when you're trans a lot of the dysphoria comes from obviously being in the completely wrong body and i know that like you don't have to be like medically confirmed or affirmed in your gender to be a valid trans person but a lot of people do choose the surgical route Mm -hmm. and it is a little sad too that we've now moved the goalpost so much farther for trans people than it ever had to be like Your womanly body could have included facial hair and like a flat chest and we've moved that goalpost for you and it is that much harder now and you're incurring that much more violence now. No, it's so complicated and
1: like for whoever's listening, we obviously are just doing our best, but the people who that really believe that we're all perfect and we don't need anything and nobody needs to like do anything to their body are either incredibly, amazingly, wonderfully confident, and I'm so happy for them. Cannot relate. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> or also already embody a lot of the beauty standards. Like, I feel like I, as someone in a smaller body, I can't say to someone in a larger body, like, oh, just love yourself. It's okay. Like, whatever. Doesn't matter what society says. I have no idea what it's like to be criticized and objectified and looked at in the way that people in, in larger bodies are.
0: Right. And like discriminated against.
1: Exactly. So it's like I can't be like, oh you know, it's totally fine. Whatever. Like just <laughs> uh,
0: fuck the haters. Like yeah. you know? Love yourself. Like I can't love myself into fitting into an MRI machine, Stacy. Like <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and it's also like
1: I can love myself and also be like it's both and like I love yeah, myself and, and the world sucks sometimes and I, I, I can't like that like an airplane seat is ridiculously small and, and I'm, I am I love true. my I love myself. I'm just saying I'm trying to go visit my family and I can't like literally. fit into a seat or whatever it might be like literally it's not just about confidence like you're not gonna yeah okay great gold star on your forehead for loving yourself doesn't mean that the world is like accommodating to that you know.
0: Yeah it's really so much easier said than done and I guess that's why I'm glad we're talking about it because I think that's what we're missing and I don't I don't think anyone needs to make any crazy changes now no one should feel guilty for like having had any kind of procedure like of course I not. still think every day about getting my eyebrows microbladed this research hasn't changed that like it's still a tug I feel I still shave my legs I did yesterday mm-hmm. and I had already done all of the research for this mm-hmm. so I'm not saying anyone should feel any kind of guilt. I hope, I certainly hope they don't feel judged. I'm saying, wow, what we're up against is huge and we should at least question it. Yeah. Because previously, like I was saying, from the time I was a kid, I didn't question it. I thought it was fact that skinny people were morally superior to me. Yeah. And I think it's just the first step to like question, wait a second, why do we even care about this? Let's just start there. Let's just Mm -hmm. start talking about it with our brilliant friends named Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> so before we leave Haley and move on to another influencer, the last thing that she said was, you only have one life to live, so why not be the best version of yourself?
1: Mm, that's tricky. I don't think the best version of yourself should be tied to your aesthetic persona. Like, what does best mean? Like, who who is determining that this is the best version of you? And I feel like best is also like a difficult term because best implies that there's like some sort of hierarchy of like the perfect person versus maybe the most you that you can be. Right. You have a lot of tattoos, for example. I don't have any. You have chosen to get these basically permanent alterations to your body that make you feel more yourself, like an expression of yourself and things that you want on you and remind you of certain things and like that doesn't mean it's like the best version of you because best like what does that mean it's like it's the most you version of you at this point you know
0: yeah yeah it's it's a really tricky idea and I don't have any super concrete thoughts on it it was just one that I'm also wary of Mm -hmm. because it might be true for some people that they feel like a better version of themselves with surgery but I wouldn't want anyone to think that the best version of themselves comes exclusively from surgery. Yeah. And I also, I'm I'm thinking in this research, in this episode, so much less about the individual and so much more about the collective because yes, maybe I individually would feel better if let's say I had a different jaw or a different nose or a different eye or a different figure. Mm-hmm. That, yes, that might be the best for me individually. But is it best for the collective? That's where I'm getting caught up. And if we as a global community continue to have less and less tolerance for physical diversity. Yeah. It implicates a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we've already talked about race and gender and we've talked about trans people. And there are also a lot of people with like physical deformities and disfigurements who face a lot of discrimination as well. And like the less and less tolerance we have for physical diversity, the more and more we're making room to discriminate against people.
1: Yes. And also, I think now, especially with social media, the like Instagram face or whatever of like, we have so much more visibility of people that are not just in our immediate community, like hate to break it to you. But like, even if we all change our faces to look like the Kardashians, let's say, yeah, then the Kardashians will change their faces. Yeah. To be different from everyone else. You know, like there's there's a hierarchy that is created in a way. And so you can bust your ass all you want to try to look like your favorite celebrity. They have more money and power and resources. And even if you achieve it, there there's a beauty standard because there's like the opposite of the beauty standard.
0: I'm literally so glad you said that because you're reminding me that I learned and I don't know if this is true. This is not part of my research. I would need to fact check this, but something I've heard anecdotally is that spices back after 1492, (laughs) after spices were brought back to Europe or different spices than what existed in Europe, they were a sign of immense wealth because I don't know, it cost a lot, I guess, to import them. Yes. And supposedly only the richest of the rich could have very like spicy cuisine. But when those trading routes became much more popular and efficient and the spices then became much more affordable and were available and accessible to the lower classes. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, guess who wasn't using spices? Mm -hmm. The wealthy people. Mm -hmm. So it all goes back to capitalism. (laughs) But like, it really is like you're saying, if we all look the same, people and especially in higher classes will continue to try to differentiate themselves. And make themselves feel superior. That's actually, there's a line in the intro of fearing the black body, the racial origins of fat phobia. That gets at exactly that. Like the upper classes will find a way to differentiate themselves by whatever means necessary. Yeah. And again, like you're under more pressure the closer to the margins you are. Totally. But there are trends that come and they go. Everyone remembers the 2000s era, quote, heroin chic. Ugh, I can't believe that was even a term. (laughs) It's not okay on probably every level. Like, uh, mm. perfect transition, though, into our next influencer, Glam with Trika on YouTube. And she is getting a BBL in Florida. So a BBL, a Brazilian butt lift, is basically where they do liposuction or, like, sucking out the fat from your hips and thighs or what is called by these clinics, quote, problem areas. So areas where you Ugh. don't want the fat, like your love handles or your tummy whatever and then they inject it into your butt
1: i hate the term problem area
0: i do too
1: (laughs) like stop moralizing my fucking body
0: literally why is it a problem like get out of here but bbls are the most dangerous operation in in cosmetic surgery (sighs) because if i'm so sorry to anyone squeamish just like fast forward 15 seconds if fat is injected in the wrong place, it can kill the patient almost instantly because it can go to their their brain and cause a stroke or their heart and cause a heart attack.
1: I know. I was going to ask you if you were going to mention people who have died on the table getting cosmetics. Oh, cosmetic oh will we?
0: Yes. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk. <sighs> so like Haley, that first influencer we were talking about, this experience for Glam with Trisha seems to be, again, almost treated as like a spa retreat and... After BBLs, I guess it's important to get massages so that you don't get like fibrotic. I don't think that's of serious like clinical concern. It's more you don't want to have like lumps or like stiff areas in your new figure, whatever the case is.
1: So just to just like aesthetically to make sure everything is like molded where it needs to be.
0: Yeah, moving and grooving, healing mm-hmm. right, not getting like stuck or I don't know yeah. what body yadi yeah Some plastic surgeon is cracking up at my description of like the fibrosis post BBL. I wish hey, you could see your hand
1: movements of just like
0: <laughs> my jazz hands. <laughs> she's dancing
1: yeah. flamenco talking about the
0: BBL. Literally. <laughs> Literal. But the place where she goes, Glam with Trika goes to get her BBL and then also recover at has this little massage room with the massage table. And she's filming it and giving a tour of the place. And it has a neon sign and it's like really cutely decorated. And it's. Cucumbers on the eyes. Literally. It's like. So normalized that it's dystopian almost. Because this is the most dangerous cosmetic surgery. And it's so dressed up as if it's a relaxing getaway. Yeah. It's not vacation. Mm -hmm. You're getting surgery. Mm -hmm. And it's all in the name of, for these clinics, making money. And a lot of people on the internet and making content on the internet are getting these surgeries and then posting about it. And so it's it's this like really weird cycle. I know, because I was gonna say any
1: surgery at a hospital, you don't get that kind of vibe when you leave the OR. And honestly, I feel like you should. A hundred percent. Like you go in for surgery. you you get your appendix out. I want you getting yeah. massages, I want the facial I don't want to be sitting in a sterile room. Yeah, you get your lumpectomy, you get a massage. Yeah, like that sounds lovely. But let's just be clear of like, if that's not really happening in other surgical environments, like let's think about why it's happening at this place where you're electing to get the surgery. Because for the most part, when you go into surgery at a hospital, something's wrong and it's kind of out of your hands. Yeah. So I feel like to get people through the door Mm -hmm. to sell them on this dangerous surgery, if you dress it up as seeming like this beautiful, relaxing escape, it
0: doesn't seem as sterile and scary. A hundred percent. It differentiates itself from other seriously dangerous surgeries. Mm -hmm. If you have a legit ass surgery, like for sure, massages make perfect sense. It's more what we're calling out is the differentiation between most serious surgeries And this one. Yeah. They're really, really different right now. But just to talk about like how normalized this is, I thought I would send you a clip from a show called Selling Sunset. Oh. Have you seen it?
1: I have not, but I've watched Trixie and Katya watch it. (laughs) Oh, of
0: course. Of course.
1: that's honestly like my mom is like a tv connoisseur and she'll be like have you seen this new show on netflix i'm like no but i've watched trixie and katya watch it she's like ellie you gotta actually watch the content i'm like i only want the drag queen filter
0: same that's oh. what i want have you seen them watch yes falling for christmas i've seen them watch everything oh my god yes. <laughs> So it's so good.
1: good. They're so. They're literally my they're comfort on, food. They're on
0: tour right now, and there's this one part of their act, I guess, where Katya gets lifted from below the stage to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I've seen these edits on TikTok where people are like splicing that, like right after a clip of someone say, "I was an atheist until I saw Jesus in my living room," and then they just <laughs> put the clip of Katya raising to the ceiling. It's so good. That's incredible. I could not um, be more obsessed with the two of them. But okay, yeah. so you have baseline familiarity with what the hell Selling Sunset is. Yes. Great. I literally need you to watch 15 or 20 seconds of this Netflix episode that I'm sending you now. Okay. And for you to tell me what you're seeing.
1: Oh, burgers and Botox. Yeah. <laughs> I saw this on the Chicks Got episode. Oh, really?
0: Okay. That's okay. all I needed you to see. She's having an event for other real estate brokers and they're having In-N-Out burgers and they're all getting Botox. You mean Quinn and Out burgers? Quinn and Out. So, <laughs> thank you. I'm so glad you And they're me. all getting
1: Botox. That is so funny. That's like the most, it sounds like a parody of LA.
0: Right. It's an SNL skit about know. real
1: estate brokers
0: in LA. Anyway, all of that to say, like the burger and Botox party, I thought sort of nicely complemented the influencer-coded recovery center that this clinic has for their patients and back to glam with and her surgery it just looks so horrifically painful like mm. she for the first few days after surgery is using a walker because she can't walk she's in this compression short that is entirely soaked with blood she has to have what? this puppy pee pad like on her bed that she sleeps on because she's bleeding uh, so much wait where is she bleeding from everywhere. This was after the BBL? Yeah, because she's had fat removed from so many parts of her body and then injected into her butt. So it's like her whole midsection. (gasps) Ow. And then she has this drain clipped to her knee-high compression socks at all times (sighs) because she still has a tube inserted via a cannula that's draining her internal bleeding. And she can't even sit down. Internal bleeding. Or something they need they need something to not clot so they're draining the blood from internally into this drain it looks like a little oval pouch and she has to empty it every few hours because it just keeps draining and she can't even sit so she has to go back to the clinic at some point and she's vlogging herself in her bathrobe which is covering her blood-soaked compression short because she <sighs> only as the one and she's lying face down in the back of the car like with the seats folded down mm-hmm. if that makes sense because she mm-hmm. can't even sit and then yeah, how is she gonna she, sit on her butt oh she won't be for a long time so what she stands she stands she kneels or she's on her stomach
1: oh my god she
0: does not sit down no no no, no. don't be silly <laughs> you absolute <laughs> fool <Yeah>. please ellie <laughs> So other side effects she mentions in a later video that she wasn't prepared for is, like I alluded to earlier, that the recovery is just as expensive as the surgery itself, partially because she keeps having to get massages, partially because she says she needs to feed the BBL. Don't know totally what that means. And then part of it, because none of her clothes fit anymore. Overnight, she went from having clothes that fit to clothes that do not fit. So it's been very expensive. And she said just as expensive as the surgery, which was thousands of dollars. Ugh. The other side effect she said she wasn't prepared for was body obsessiveness. Mm. She said she cannot stop looking in the mirror. And part of it she expected because, of course, I just paid all this money. Like, I want to see if I'm getting results. Yeah. But the amount of time she says she's scrutinizing her body in the mirror is above and beyond what she expected. And for her, like, a good day is only spending 10 minutes staring at herself in the mirror. Naked, like, before she gets in the shower. Like, Like, scouring every inch. And so that's maybe something people aren't super aware of heading into plastic surgery. I am endlessly grateful to all the women we're talking about today for being like so transparent and open and honest about their experience so we can like get our little window of insight into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you said this because yeah, that does sound like mind space that some people might not have the flexibility or the desire to give up. That's that's mm-hmm. really draining.
1: Yeah. And that also feels anytime that I have thought about if I got plastic surgery, let's say I like change my nose or something yeah I feel like I would get so anxious looking at myself in the mirror afterwards because it would be a whole new face and I'd be like mm-hmm. I've seen the same face for 25 years and now my face looks different and so right I feel like being not just obsessive like looking in the mirror of like okay does it look good does it look the way I wanted it to but also who is that yeah getting used to a new face or body must take some Time because we look at ourselves so much along our life and then suddenly being like, Oh, my entire body looks different from one day to the next. Completely different.
0: Yeah. Especially for getting like fifty-seven percent of cosmetic surgery patients multiple procedures at once. At once. Yes. So obviously we talked about Haley, that first influence for getting fat grafting and the brow lift and the breast augmentation at once. I'm just like holding my boobs like ow. No, I know. <laughs> No, my skin is crawling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just, I can feel the needle and the blade. Like, I can feel it. It's okay. I love you. But yes, are you ready to meet our next patient? Is it you? No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I need to start, like, amping up the theatrics because in season one, When we were doing OnlyFans, you thought I had Michaela, the sex worker, like waiting in the wings. Yeah. When we did lightweight rowing, you were like, are the Winklevosses joining us? Yeah. (laughs) Do I not
1: bring out all the stops for you? No, it's just you you do this long pause. And so I'm like, should I guess?
0: I I shouldn't like leave the witness. But yeah. Our next patient is a nine-year-old girl in Japan getting double eyelid surgery. Why? Because her mother thinks she needs it. So... She and her mother have a YouTube channel together about plastic surgery, and it's really, really common in not just Japan, but also in Korea, for example, parents buy their kids plastic surgery as graduation presents, like from high school. So it's just like very culturally normal. Yeah, it's culturally normal, and I guess the mother was bullied growing up for having a monolid, and she did in her adulthood get the double eyelid surgery that she had always wanted, but... She looks back at the pictures of her childhood and she sees her eyes and how they used to look and all she can see is that bullied girl and she just thinks that she's genuinely and I believe her a hundred percent because I believe that that bullying is very real and I know it is. So she thinks she's just doing her daughter a favor Mm -mm. by having her daughter get the surgery as young as possible so that the girl basically never knows the difference. Yeah, And at some point, the journalist interviewing this mother-daughter duo asks the daughter to explain why she wants surgery. Or maybe she's explaining in one of their YouTube videos. And she says her narrow eyes make her look angry. So she wants the double eyelid surgery. I mean, I remember being nine and being newly aware of how I looked and how I was perceived. Mm -hmm. But I think that might be a level of awareness that I didn't have at that age. And I wonder how much... Of that is things she believes versus things she's parroting back. Yeah. And there's no way to know and there's no point in trying. But later, after the surgery, the mother asks the daughter for this journalist who's there how things have changed post-op. And the daughter is like, it hasn't. Like, my life hasn't. Because probably she's still playing with the same toys and has the same friends and has the same homework and mm-hmm. likes the same snacks. And her life hasn't changed. And then the mom tries to convince her, no, 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 really? Really? Life is better now, right? Don't more people come up to you and call you cute? And that was like, I guess. And you can just see the mother is trying to give her daughter the freedom from insecurity that she never got to have as a little girl. But also, that could be so hurtful.
1: I know. And it seems like from what you're saying that at least at this moment, the little girl is kind of unaware. But I think a lot of times the intention of wanting to protect your kid from an insecurity can sometimes make them have an insecurity that they didn't have prior. Yes. You know, being like, oh, let's let's do something to your eyes so that people don't make fun of you. And you're like, oh, why? I didn't even realize that that was a make funnable <laughs> offense. What? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. Or or like if someone's has like a kid that's really tall for their age or really short for their age. And it's like, should I tell them before they go to school? You know, sometimes people are mean based on your height. Don't take it personally. Right. And the kid being like, wait, what? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> why, well, why should I be worried about this? Right. So I get the the impulse. But I I mean, I don't know what the long term effects are going to be of this. But I think a lot of times, too, with like when it comes to kids and bullying, kids are going to get bullied for one thing or another. Like the, the bullies know. will get creative <laughs> and they will always find
0: something to say. If there is one thing that is certain in this life is that kids are brutal. Kids are brutal. And there will be bullies. And it does sound like the mother like really was bullied and who knows, maybe she went to her parents and was crying and saying, I can't believe so many people make fun of me for my eyes. But that doesn't seem to be a dynamic present with her own daughter. It doesn't seem like the daughter has at any point been like coming home from school crying crushed that people are making fun of her. I have no idea. The Mm -hmm. video was like, I don't know, 15 minutes. So who's to say what happens behind closed doors? But it does seem like it's coming from the mom. And it doesn't seem like it registered or has registered yet for the daughter that having a double eyelid might be a driver of quality of life in any way.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So this is the third patient that we're talking about. And you've, I'm sure, noticed that it's all been women that we're talking about. And since we've mentioned how gendered it is 18,000 times so far, I figured now's a good time to parachute in with some statistics. And in the U.S., 94% of patients getting cosmetic surgeries are women. Wow. And while the ethnicity breakdown, unlike gender in the U.S. at least, maps roughly onto the general U.S. population, Hispanic and Black people or Latino and Black people over-index on liposuction and Asian American people over-index on blepharoplasty or the double Mm. eyelid surgery.
1: So very racialized, like, in terms it's, of what the choice is. It, it, it gives yeah. an indication of what people might be trying to strive for and yeah. that being very much a Eurocentric idea of beauty.
0: Yeah. It's gendered and racialized and our instincts could suss that out, but the statistics back that up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, none of the three patients we've talked about, Haley, with Trika, this daughter of the mother who was bullied growing up, none of them had, like, necessarily bad side effects. Glam with Trika did mention that she had what's called a lipo pocket on her left side, but it didn't seem... She was also
1: bleeding all the time.
0: (laughs) That that sounds like a bad effect to me. Well, that's par for the course. (laughs) Oh, sorry.
1: (laughs) Besides the constant bleeding from all over your body,
0: they were totally fine. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Haley did see some of the fat that she had grafted from her stomach into her under eyes, cheeks and smile lines dissolve after a few months but again that's not like a critically concerning side effect the nine year old girl's anesthesia did wear off during the procedure what because it was supposed to take 20 minutes it ended up taking two hours she was awake and crying for a good portion of the procedure but had no devastating side effects that we know of but but, uh, if she wakes up (laughs) can't they keep drugging her what what (laughs) She just had to stay awake? I had the same question. I have never been so unprepared. And I had already watched a BBL. I I have never been so unprepared as I was to see her getting operated on crying. No, no, no. No, it was... Where's the anesthesiologist? No, no. uh, Pump her. And also, I don't know if they added the crying sounds in post, but it was like, it was really viscerally quite arresting. It was Oh my gosh. Whew, whew, hard to watch. Hard Ooh. to watch. But technically, yeah, she had no like side effects. Like none of these patients are people who would say, like, oh, I was botched. I got botched surgery. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Okay. So they're happy with their results?
0: For the most part. I mean, some of them like aren't as significant as they hoped, but no one's botched here. However, it can go wrong. And it's not just botched wrong. Like things can go really Really wrong, and part of why it can go so wrong is a few different legislative gaps. Oh. Um, do I hear your seatbelt clicking? <laughs> yes,
1: I'm like, all right, here we go. So
0: first, in the U.S., any doctor can perform plastic surgery. What? Like any of them? No, like you, you go to your ENT, your gyno, any of them can no, technically that, perform. No. Yeah, no, they just do a weekend workshop. What? I th- what I thought plastic surgery was like
1: a whole. Field that, like, you're a neurosurgeon, so you specialize in that. You're
0: a plastic surgeon, so you specialize in that, right? You can study it in earnest for longer than a weekend workshop, but nothing legally is prohibiting you from practicing plastic surgery. Is that the same for any
1: other field? Like, could uh, someone who's a gynecologist be like, oh, now I'm going to do heart surgery? No. (laughs) Like, does it cross? Like, is that how medicine works? You're just
0: willy nilly? (laughs) I'm not sure about other fields, but I'm on the the American Board of Plastic Surgery Incorporated website. And I'm on their FAQs page. And the question is, can my physician practice plastic surgery if she is not certified by the Board of Plastic Surgery? The answer, yes. If a physician possesses a medical license from a state medical board, then she may practice plastic surgery. It's the patient's personal decision as to whether or not they prefer a board-certified surgeon. (laughs) Okay.
1: Why wouldn't you prefer a board-certified surgeon? Money. More more expensive? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So... So you get the cheap doctor and you get all fucked up? Yeah, you get it half the price. (laughs) You get what you pay for. (laughs) Well, that could not be more true. Another law of concern or of particular interest is this law in Florida where for surgery, anyone assisting in performing the procedure must be directly supervised by a licensed physician at all times. But that verbiage of direct supervision apparently creates enough of a legal loophole for surgeons to be a room or two away as they run two or three more simultaneous surgeries, which is extremely dangerous and not recommended by any board certified surgeon. So Florida has become this hotspot because doctors can make the most money there. Fucking Florida. Because they can do multiple surgeries at a time.
1: Florida man gets botched BBL.
0: <laughs> the moral of the story. But so, what many accredited surgeons say is that the limit for the number of BBLs a doctor could safely do in a day is three to four. And the doctors in these Miami and Florida clinics are doing six to eight, sometimes 10. Oh my God. And these centers are also owned by investors. So, if you had any hesitation about whether they were in it for the money before, Trust me when I tell you now, they are in it for the money. Oh, Even God. when Glam with Shrika was checking in for her procedure, the person, as she's being checked in, recommends that she get, quote, J-plasma on her back. It's just this, like, skin-tightening procedure. And they were like, yeah, it's just an extra $2,000. Like, you will already be under the knife. Do you want it? And I don't think she ended up going for it, but, like, the upsell. <laughs> it's not like, oh, and would you like a side of guac? Like, <laughs> like why are we upselling patients? Before surgeries. A sign of quack. <laughs> Not the same. Yeah. And they also can upsell you on something called the cell saver, which just like cleans out the blood that you've lost during surgery and put it back in you. And it's an extra $600. It's like, shouldn't you just make sure no matter what that I have the right amount of blood, like without yeah. charging me more? Yeah. It's also like it was my blood first. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, so true. You take my
1: blood and then sell it back to me. <laughs> what the <So> fuck true.
0: <laughs> Literally. So what happens when people are so money motivated and using these legal lo- loopholes to engage in dangerous practices? As you mentioned, as I mentioned, people die. Glam with Trika literally said in her vlog right after the procedure, I made it out. Thank you, Jesus. I'm very, very grateful for that. How What are the statistics on people dying? Do you have that?
1: Like, how often is someone dying?
0: I think the rate is, I mean, maybe it's in Florida. I I think I saw somewhere and I don't have a source for this. It was like one in 300, but that's like a significantly high number Mm -hmm. for people dying in surgery. Oh my gosh. And yes, it's like one in 300 is like the rate at large. But if you're going to one of these clinics or if you're a member of a lower socioeconomic class, like... It's going to be riskier for you. That's just how it goes, especially when you're already understudied. Oh, absolutely. By the medical field. Like if you are a black woman, like you're already at greater risk no matter what procedure you're having. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of risk dependent on different factors of who you are. And these clinics market specifically toward like black and Latina people. Mm -hmm. So they're making all of their ads like even in... Spanish, because they know exactly who they're targeting and the price point that they're selling at. And I will say like a lot of these deaths were avoidable. Many are caused by really egregious mistakes, like perforating organs multiple times. Oh my God. Or perforating intestines, which it takes a lot of effort to get through the abdominal wall. And then you perforate intestines and spills waste into their abdomen. Uh, So eight women have died at Dr. Ismael Labrador's. Clinics and 13 women have died at four other plastic surgery centers in Florida as well. And you might wonder, Audra, how are these clinics continuing to get away with this? How can Dr. Labrador have eight women dying at his various clinics and no repercussions? Good question. (laughs) They just changed their name. What? Yeah, they just changed their name. Jolie rips the sign Jolie off puts on Vanity, rips Vanity off, puts on Encore. They just change their name. When you're a, when you're a patient and you Google them, and you Google plastic surgery at Jolie, you won't see someone say, my sister died here. Because their sister died at Encore. Yeah.
1: Sorry, Yelp. Yeah. That's like when when priests get caught molesting children and they just move them to a different church. It's like, the, it, what? Like, <laughs> we're just displacing the issue.
0: Right. Thanks for hiding everything. Right. But- that is still technically legal to a degree. These clinics have websites. They have pictures of their surgeons with their real names on the websites. They are in strip malls. They market on YouTube. They're theoretically legal entities. But what about when it's very, very below board? Not just like, oh, we're capitalizing on a legal loophole no we're straight up ignoring the laws mm-hmm. so i watched this episode of like a docuseries called trafficked by national geographic okay and the first episode of the second season was exploring basically like what they call the black market of plastic surgery and they are in particular investigating this sort of like underground network of people getting silicone injections Mostly in their butt, I believe. Those were the only procedures I saw, but that's what they're investigating. And like we said, the side effects don't necessarily show up right away. So it's like a very hard thing to discourage. But there's an example of someone who performs these illegal injections in motel rooms. She goes by Miss T. She uses medical grade silicone that's provided to her by an actual doctor. She has no formal medical training and she can make upwards of like $30,000 in a day because, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, whether you're a stripper who's trying to look much more like voluptuous and curvy and womanly for the night at the club, or if you are a trans person who's been pretty much locked out of a lot of like formal healthcare Mm -hmm. and affirming healthcare, you are going to be pushed to the black market and have, yes, maybe medical grade silicone, but maybe things even like furniture polish injected into your ass and you have no idea what Mm -hmm. oh no it just feels like this collective raising of the bar that we're talking about like we are squeezing the marginalized groups the most because we are creating more pressure and more pressure and more pressure and people will do whatever it takes
1: what happens if you get injected with furniture polish does your body just like piss it out or do you die (laughs) those are the two options
0: (laughs) i honestly have no idea (laughs) okay googling the only information i'm finding on furniture polish poisoning is accidentally intaking it like swallowing breathing it in or touching it and i have to assume it's much worse when it's injected i would think so it it doesn't look so good (laughs) (laughs) it's not worth reading out loud you're like you know surprisingly it's completely harmless (laughs) so yeah i mean like i said at the top i wasn't wanting to talk about gender confirmation surgery because I wholly understand like the incredibly important mental health impact that has for trans people, especially those who are exposed to so much more violence just moving through the world. It just, like we're already doing so wrong by trans people in healthcare. It just makes me frustrated. Yeah. That like, I I don't even have the words besides being like upset at the many branches that like transphobia and trans discrimination can take. Mm -hmm. And of course it's showing up here too. Mm -hmm. But- As dark as that is a note to end on, that's sort of the end of my synopsis of the current state of plastic surgery. But I'm just curious, like, besides what we've already shared and expounded on, what are your thoughts?
1: I think what's hard is, I know we've been talking throughout the episode of like the collective versus the individual, but at the end of the day, the collective is formed by individuals. Mm -hmm. So, you can't really have one without the other. We can't be like, "Oh, well, on an individual level, it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want." But on a collective, we should be doing this because ultimately the collective is formed by a bunch of us. And it's difficult when you can't really pinpoint where certain pressures are coming from. There's not one person in the world that's just sending pamphlets to everyone.
0: Wouldn't it be so easy if that's what it was? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Just I wish. flyers. <laughs> I wish. Oh my god. We take out that one person, we're like, done, dusted, on to the next. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't I don't know, we've been talking about it for two hours now and I still feel
1: confused about where I stand on things and at this moment in time I don't have anything that I would want to do. I don't know how I'm gonna feel in ten, twenty years. So I don't wanna be naive and be like, Oh, I would never get anything done. I have no idea. And I think if anything, what you've presented to us makes me just think about If one wanted to get something done, just making sure that you do your research. (laughs) Board certified, please. Yeah. And even if something's more expensive, maybe waiting some more time and saving up for that or uh, Mm -hmm. just thinking like, would you want your best friend or your kid or your partner to like take that surgery and take that risk? Yeah. So just protecting yourself as best as possible. Yeah. And just interrogating a little bit of like what your motivations are and- Will you be okay, like regardless of the outcome? Like, what if it doesn't turn out exactly how you wanted it to, or it does, but nothing changes, like it, it internally? Right? Are you going to be okay with that? Like, are you okay with every outcome before you go into a surgery? I guess.
0: No, I I completely agree with you, and I actually we will link as the first link in our show notes, fourteen tips to follow if you will get surgery, because Ooh. if you will, you might as well do it right. A tip that isn't in this list of tips that we'll link to is making sure that whatever foreign materials you're having implanted in your body that other doctors know how to deal with. So for example, Mm. there's this material called macrolane that can be injected into the breasts, but if you get that, radiologists won't know how to treat you if you need chemo. So especially if you have a history of breast cancer in your family, just definitely make sure to be aware of like... Okay, what is tried and true? What's a best tested option around? Like, what has fewer implications if I get a diagnosis later on? So, with that piece of advice, along with the 14 tips that will be the first link in our show notes, just at, at the least, just follow those to make sure that you're doing it as safely as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have two other pieces of advice before we close. The first, and it's relatively obvious, but. <laughs> Not everyone follows his advice. Drink water and take your vitamins. (laughs) So true, babe. (laughs) Do that 30-day booty blaster workout and you'll feel great. No, I was going to say, don't bully people for their looks. I know that sounds so obvious, but don't comment on their looks, especially minors. And when you assume they look mean and tired, ask yourself, "Mm -mm, why have I decided that? Could it be subjective? Biased, perhaps? Are Mm -hmm. they actually sleep-deprived and drowsy? Or have I just assumed that? Are they actually being mean or have I assumed that? And when you're talking about yourself in front of others as well, you are necessarily commenting on other people's bodies in the room. Mm. I have felt that a lot with thin people saying things like, oh, my God, I look so fat in that photo. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, well, you're half my size. So if you think <laughs> that of yourself, what in the hell do you think of me? Yeah. So just be aware that when you talk about other people's looks or your own looks in front of other people you are necessarily commenting on everyone in the room. You're putting everyone on the scale with you. You are scrutinizing everyone with you. And there is a lot of research to suggest that people who engage in negative body talk have less meaningful relationships. Mm. So if you're looking for a place to start, if you're looking for a better source of confidence... One of the best places you can start is just trying really, really hard to catch yourself when you're thinking something negative about yourself, when you're about to say something negative about yourself in in front of other people, or when other people are saying something negative about themselves in front of you, is to just catch yourself in that moment and remind yourself, you know what? I'm a random assortment of random molecules on a floating rock in an infinite universe that's still expanding somehow. And Mm -hmm. the extra few inches of fat around my waist, or the not perfectly upturned breasts, or the slightly puffy eye bags that I have could not mean less in the grand scheme of things. Again, so much easier said than done. I could not have a harder time taking this advice myself. Yeah. But I, I think it's worth, like, for the vibes, putting it out into the world.
1: I agree. The way you look is the least interesting thing about you. Mm-hmm. And if you think that the best thing about you is the way you look, We got to look inward because I doubt that's the case. Yeah.
0: And it's hard. And obviously, yes, there are institutionalized discriminatory practices that are happening that make it so much easier for people of privilege to love themselves. And as we talked about, you can't love yourself into fitting into an MRI machine. But Mm -hmm. the more privileged you are, the more incumbent it is on you to just try and interrupt some of these counterproductive thought processes.
1: Yeah. And and there's so much more than just self-love that's working against our bodies, But don't give more fuel to the fire, you know? So true. You can't love yourself out of oppression. But you can also not contribute to it. That's what's within our control. And I think that you become a better activist and advocate for changing big systems the more you're solid in yourself
0: and love yourself. Yeah. And the more critically you're just at least thinking about them. And I can promise you this. You were not put on this earth to spend your time, your money, your health and your youth trying to look different than you already do.
1: And hot tip, we will all age. The the only alternative is death. So you should be so excited to age. It's so true, Bessie. <laughs> you can you can you can buy all the creams in the world. I'm sorry, sweetheart. It's gonna happen. <laughs>
0: Ultra Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research
1: for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn.